this week's episode of Hey, I think we're good here. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jackson Metakekia. And I'm Matt West. And we're here getting to know the sport of volleyball through the life experiences our guests have to share with us. Come take a listen. Today's episode stars Ole Miss head coach, world champion, and Olympic bronze medalist, Kayla Banworth. Kayla discusses her limited volleyball exposure living in Iowa, the culture of Nebraska volleyball, her first time being a part of the USA national team, the sacrifices she made to be an Olympian, winning a world championship, how culture over talent created the fortitude to bounce back and become bronze medalists, how she is applying her playing knowledge and experience to her program now, and of course, Big Daddy Hacks. doing we doing how are you doing doing great i'm doing yeah. real good <laughs> nice to meet you kayla i'm jackson nice to meet you well on that positive note welcome to the podcast <laughs> <laughs> thanks we're so happy that you could finally make time for us i know i'm sorry it took so long i suck <laughs> no it's okay <laughs> we appreciate having you on, and we're keeping the coaching train rolling. Jackson cool. was very adamant about bringing on coaches. Little does he know we're going to interview you as a player. Oh, cool. and a coach. Yeah. We'll do it both. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am, I am curious how like it all panned out at the end. But yeah. Anyways, I mean, let's get it going. How? Why volleyball? How volleyball? Where did it all start? Yeah, so my parents both played volleyball. Um, my mom played at UNI for a couple of years. That's Northern Iowa. And then my dad um, didn't play collegiately, but played in, you know, the local YNCA league. And, you know, legend has it in Dubuque, Iowa. He was really, really good. So um, <laughs> my parents both played. I was, I mean, had a volleyball in my crib, like just played all my life, played all my life. Um, they both coached as well. So I was always in the gym. Like I was that kid in the corner hitting the ball against the wall um, for hours on end. And yeah, was just kind of always hooked on. It was kind of born into a volleyball family. When did you start playing organized volleyball? I started playing organized volleyball when I was seven. And it's kind of funny because my mom coached 12 year olds at the time. So I just joined her team. So I was a seven year old on the 12 year old team. And the agreement was that my mom said that as soon as I got my serve over the net from the end line with like a normal weighted ball, then she could, she put me on a team. And I guess she thought I'd be like in fifth or sixth grade. And here comes little seven-year-old me like, mommy, mommy, watch me. And you know, she's like, oh shit. All right. <laughs> so, so yeah, I joined a team when I was seven and, and just played with older kids for the first several years of my career, I guess, if you want to call it. Might be a record seven years old getting a full court serve over. <laughs> I mean, just hours in the gym. That's just what I did when I was little. My mom told me a similar story about myself when I served my first ball over. Like, she just kept harping this girl on, like, you got to do this. 
you got to do this. And like impatient Matt West got up, walked over to the girl and was like, just do this. And I just stripped it over the net and I went and sat down. And I go, yeah, same. I was like six or seven years old. I was just pissed. Yeah. And then I just went and sat right back down. And my mom was like, God damn it. That is so funny. That is a very That's Matt West funny. thing to do. <laughs> yeah. So then, so were you born and raised in Iowa? Born and raised in Dubuque, Iowa. Oh, How, uh, prominent is club volleyball um when i was growing up in iowa it it wasn't very prominent um chicago was like three hours away and obviously those sports performance and all those big clubs out of there um there's a few clubs in iowa that you know went to qualifiers and um the club i played for was called six pack um my senior year and like we played at crossroads and i think northern lights um and my mom actually founded a club in Dubuque when I was very little called Courtmasters. Okay. That is, I don't think that's even in existence anymore, but that's the, the club I started out at. But like, I mean, us going to Denver for Crossroads was a big deal in Iowa. So it really wasn't very prominent. I think it's, it's gotten better. Um, there's several clubs that go to, you know, a lot of nationwide tournaments. So it's getting better. But when I was young, it wasn't, it wasn't very prominent. How old were you when you were actively starting to think about college volleyball? Um, I think I was a sophomore in high school when I started getting like questionnaire letters and things like that. So uh, yeah, probably around sophomore year. It's pretty late, isn't it? Or have times changed and now it's just, I'm just used to hearing about kids getting recruited in seventh and eighth grade. Yeah, I think the times have changed a little bit that kids are getting recruited young. Um, and I wasn't like, I was a hitter in high school. Um, so I wasn't, you know, I didn't libero or anything until I got to college and a lot of schools were recruiting me as an outside hitter. So that's probably part of the reason I, you know, maybe it was so late. Um, I'm sure like, you know, Alex Klein was in my class and Cassidy Lickman was in my class. Like I'm sure those kids, those girls got recruited younger than I did. Yeah, that's fair. It's probably a fair analysis. I'd recruit <laughs> Alex Kleiman pretty young. Yeah, probably I remember we played. More at 13. Right? I know. <laughs> I mean, I recruited, like, yeah, my the 2021 class is going to Nebraska. They were all, like, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, when they were eighth graders. It's dumb. Did you play outside <laughs> all throughout high school? Yeah, I played outside for my high school team, and there was like a couple, like one or two years in club, I would set too, so I ran like a 6-2. Um, oh, the dream. Yeah, the dream, set and hit in a 6-2. <laughs> yeah, you'd love, you'd love that, Matt. I've been, I've, I've tried at Pepperdine. I tried. <laughs> Mark wasn't having it? Yeah, we had pretty good opposites, so he wasn't. Yeah, you had too many big guys. I was going to say, you had some gnarly dudes on your team. Yeah, I trained as an outside for a week my senior year. That was so cool. I was like, this is a dream. That <laughs> was the year like, you had, like, right, Josh and Parker and Tino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a year where, we're like, we were the unanimous number one ranked team in the country. And Mar was like, you know what? You've gotten all Americans at this position, but I want to throw you in as the O2. <laughs> I was like, sweet, I'll take the whole court. No problem. That's awesome. Don't send me. 
<laughs> only sent me highballs. I think I'm the only guy that's ever walked in that gym and been like, besides Dave Weizorek. It's like, I only want highballs. Don't give me Dave any. Dave Weizorek. It's either Gosh. on the line or it's going through the lights. Yeah. There's always more cross for Dave. There's always more angle for Big D. That's right. <laughs> so then how did you end up getting, no offense, how did you end up getting to Nebraska as an undersized outside that ran six twos? Um, so I said I was recruited as an outside to everywhere that was recruiting me except for Nebraska. Nebraska was the only school that recruited me as a libero. Okay. And I think John really likes recruiting um, setters to the libero position, just obviously for auto system purposes. Um, and I just was always a really good ball control type kid. So, and that's honestly, when I'm recruiting liberos, that's kind of what I'm looking for too, is an, an undersized outside that is, you know, an exceptional ball handler. Sure. Um, so that's kind of just, that was my skill set. You know, I, I hit in high school because I was, you know, one of the tallest ones on my team in Iowa, but um, I was always a great passer and, and I had some setting experience. So it's kind of what John was looking for in a libero. Um, so, yeah. Why Nebraska? Besides it being Nebraska. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I went to a match at Nebraska and just the atmosphere, it was, they were still playing in the Coliseum um, and the atmosphere and the noise and the, the tradition, like you could just feel something special at Nebraska. It just like, it was a really cool vibe. Um, so yeah, after seeing the match and seeing the crowd and um, seeing how important volleyball was to Nebraska, it just kind of was a no brainer for me. How many fans fit in the Coliseum? Yeah, the Coliseum held just over 4,000 fans so perfect volleyball. perfect so yeah when they went to move volleyball from the coliseum to the devaney center um a lot of people were against it because the coliseum was so special um and like coach cook was worried about the sellout streak continuing and you know what was that going to look like but you know they still sell out devaney every every match and just over eight thousand in devaney Talk about a home court advantage. Yeah, it's it's pretty gnarly. How many come out to Ole Miss games? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> right now, um, I think we get just under a thousand for matches, and um, yeah, it's kind of it's and the the gym is a similar size to Pepperdine's. Yeah. Um, but it's three years old. It was renovated three years ago. So it's really, really nice. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's, it's a decent sized crowd. There's definitely room for improvement, but it's, it's, it's not Nebraska yet. Yet is the key word there. Yes. Growth mindset. Yet. Yet is the key word there. So you walk, okay. You walk into Nebraska, your team is so sick. <laughs> your first year. It's you, Tracy Stalls is there, right? Yep, Sarah Pavin. Sarah, Jordan, you. Yeah. It's not bad. I was the only person on the court that wasn't an All-American my freshman year. <laughs> you keep and we had, really good we had two players of the year. We had two players of the year. So Sarah Pavin was player of the year my freshman year. And then the year before that, 
um, Christina Hotelling was the player of the year. So they were both on that team. Oh my gosh. Uh... And we got swept in the regional final. <laughs> <laughs> By Carly Lloyd's team at Cal. Talent doesn't win championships, teams do. Yep, exactly. I think Carly was hitting her serve was a, a standing topspin serve that year. Yeah, but if one person could do it, it's her. Absolutely. She, like, crushed us. She blew us up. That's amazing. What else do you remember about that match? <laughs> um, Cal had two really gnarly outsides, Angie Pressy, Angie, Angie Pressy and um, – Is Cara Murray on that team? No, not yet. Not yet. I think she came the year after or maybe 09. I'm not sure, but – she was, I don't think she was on that team, but they had a, like a Croatian outside on that team. I forget her name, but she had like a super heavy arm and I'm just getting blown up and left back, <laughs> like just destroyed. I'm like this freshman libero going up against these two really gnarly senior outside hitters. And I'm just like, I'm just getting pegged basically. The whole so match. it was their night. It was absolutely their night. They went off. They went off. Surface equals control. That's my, you know, that's what I've heard. If you're getting pegged, yeah. you got to get pegged in the right place. Yeah. Well, 18-year-old Kayla did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that team? I, I can't imagine. Actually, I can't imagine because we were in the same boat my senior year. But you guys had, like, player of the year. How much ego was on that team? some egos we had to deal with and there was a lot of people that you know their hearts were in the right place and they put the team first and they knew you know what was going to help us win and that was you know team and chemistry and, and all that kind of stuff but there was definitely some egos we had to deal with and um I think ultimately were was the downfall of that team really what was Which your role in, what was your role in the leadership that year um, that year I had zero leadership role. I was a freshman, so I was wide-eyed, like, during the headlights, trying to just keep my head above water. Um, so, yeah, no leadership role, but, yeah, it was definitely an interesting year. Learned a lot about teammates and, um, you know, culture over, over talent and, and those kind of things. What year... How did the culture develop, like, each year? Like, so, you, I mean, because you got to start we, – we were kind of the same way at Pep. We had, like, these old guys that as soon as we came in, because we were talented, mm -hmm. like, hey, don't, like, don't step on our shit. Like, this is our university kind of thing. I was like, nobody's trying to capsize the boat. We're just trying right. to get in the boat and, like, sail the shore. That's all. Yeah. And I don't know if you felt that way or – freshman year but like how much did it improve as time wore on yeah it was um freshman year was I mean we just had a lot of people worried about their own individual accomplishments and yeah. you know obviously that's no way to function as a team and the next year after that um you know we graduated quite a few people and and lost our setter to she transferred um and actually quit playing volleyball um but yeah, my sophomore year, we kind of, we kind of made a decision that, you know, all right, last year, 
was shitty and it sucked. So we're going to do things differently. And, um, that, that year of, you know, adversity really brought us closer together and, and made us focus on what's important and, and what we wanted our year to look like. So I'd say from my freshman year to sophomore year, the, the, the culture was like a complete 180, um, you know, really focused on being a good teammate, putting your team before yourself, um, how can we help each other and, and cultivating that love type of culture. So um, freshman to sophomore year was like an epic jump in, in terms of culture. And then um, junior, senior year, we kind of just tried to build on and kind of recreate sophomore year because my sophomore year was, was 2008. And that was a really, really special year for Nebraska. So my junior, senior year, we just kind of were trying to figure out how do we, how do we recreate that? How do we make that happen again? Yeah. Did, when you say we made a decision to do that, is that, was it very player driven or was it from the coaching staff? That's my exact question. Well done, sir. Yeah. <laughs> so it was player driven. Um, Jordan Larson, that was her senior year. Um, and she had two other um, players in her class, in her senior class. So it was Jordan, Amanda, and Rachel, and they were our captains that year. And they kind of spearheaded that, the idea that, okay, things were going to be different this year, and this is how we're going to do things, and this is what's important, and this is the stuff that we need to buy into. So they spearheaded that movement, and, and the rest of us bought into it and then jumped on board. How was – did John change at all, or was he – I mean, did he present himself the same way? And he was just like, hey, like, if this is what you guys want, this is what you guys want. Or could you see an active change in his mentality as well of being like, all right, I'm behind you guys. Like, I'm all in as well. He definitely, he definitely had, like, our captain's backs. Yeah. Um, which I think is maybe different from the year before. Um, the captains went to him and, and they sat down and they're like, Hey, this is how it's going to be. Like, this is what we want our senior year to look like. This is what's important. And he definitely jumped on board with them and, and you could tell that he had their backs. Um, so that was probably the main difference. But besides that, I mean, he, he was kind of the same, you know, ran practices the same coach the same. Um, but it was just, it was very clear that he held the captains in high esteem and he kind of let them run the show when he, when they wanted to. Do you take that same position as a coach now? Yeah, yeah. Um, for my program now at Old Miss, I, I'm relying on the captains for a lot of um, team culture type of stuff. But the other part of building a program is educating them on you know what it should look like and what culture is and what it means and what's important and 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 what it takes to win so it's 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 a little bit more education for me as a coach so far um in in terms of you know this is this is what it looks like this is what it feels like this is what it takes and just showing my team and my captains those kind of things so that they can kind of take the reins and 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 be leaders in that way. Did you, at what point in time, did you think that you're going to be with the Olympic team at any point in time in that journey? No. <laughs> no, I didn't think that until literally my senior year ended, my senior season ended, and I majored in English, which is a joke. I don't know why I did that. 
and I think I just did it to stay eligible. Like my academic advisor was like, uh, Kayla, you should probably declare a major because you need to stay eligible. Um, so I picked English because I just liked reading and writing with no real plan on how I was going to use that. So my senior season ends and I remember sitting in my basement in Lincoln for like two days straight, just kind of panicking, like, what am I going to do now? Like, what am I going to do? I am not ready for this. And um, then I got a phone call from Karch asking me to come out to the USA gym. And I was just like, all right, that works. Let's do it. So you weren't even thinking of pro then if you were kind of in a panic? No. Wow. No, I was like, well, I guess I could start applying for like jobs at the local newspaper. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I had no idea what I was going to do until Karch called me. Yeah, for sure. That is such a trip. Everybody's <laughs> got a chance. Anybody listening, yeah. everybody's got a chance. Everyone's got a chance. I was never an All-American. I wasn't even All-Conference. I was. I think I was honorable mention All-Big 12 my senior year. Like, you don't have to... You don't have to be this big, highly touted player with all these awards. Like anyone can do it. Yeah, and that's that's your proof right there that it takes a team. You know, all the, mm -hmm. the individual stuff is nice, but that's not what it's about. Yeah, that's not like that's not the stuff you remember. You know, like wow. uh, you know, you're not going to remember. You know, your All American award and like yeah, maybe your name's on the wall and your pictures on the wall, but you're going to remember the 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 friends and you know the special matches and things like that so for sure so How was your, going into the u.s sorry go ahead Matt. no no go ahead go ahead you're about to say what i'm gonna say so I'm all you guys crazy. are on the same page <laughs> so going into the usa gym are you bright-eyed and bushy-tailed again or what's happening what's happening with you yeah i was like i was I was the deer in the headlights again, kind of not really knowing what I was doing or um, what, you know, what the end goal, like I wasn't even, I was in the USA gym, but I wasn't like, I wasn't even thinking about the Olympics. Like I just was like thinking about USA. Um, so when I first started with the USA, like I wouldn't even say that I had really even had goals set for myself. Um, I just was kind of there to play and just played as hard as I could every day and without really thinking too much about the outcome or any goals or anything like that. What an amazing way to play though. Like you're just so yeah. free. Yeah. It must be such a liberating feeling. Just be like, you know what? I'm just going to walk in today. Yeah. And I'm just going to play. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah. It was like, it was cool. I mean, I just, I felt really lucky to be able to just to get in the gym with some of the best girls in, in the nation in you know, my year. Because when I first started there, it was just like a group of seniors that were just fresh out of college that went out to train for like four or five months. Um, so for me, it was just fun to like go play at a high level and um, get to work with Hugh and Karch. And um, yeah, so it just wasn't too complicated for me the first few months I was just playing. How much different was it when everybody came home? That's when it got a little bit gnarly. Yeah. Um, that was a gnarly group too, as Jordan and Courtney have. Courtney went more in depth gnarly. about it, and she was like, "It was different." It was a freaking. <laughs> it was a clusterfuck. 
that's what it was. Like, uh, it was, that's that's awful. did that just throw you for a whirlwind of like, I'm back on my 06 team in Nebraska of some mm -hmm. egos in the gym? Yeah, it was pretty awful. Um, just dreaded going to the gym every day, would leave the gym in tears often. Um, just, I mean, it just, the, it kind of was a slap in the face in terms of the difference between professional volleyball and collegiate volleyball, where collegiate volleyball is more about team and culture and how can I help my team win and professional volleyball is more about all right, well, this is a job and you better get your shit done. And if you don't, like there's somebody else that will. So it's more individualistic and it's more about, am I playing well? Am I getting paid? Um, and there's just different priorities when it comes to professional. And that was very obvious when everyone came back from overseas. It wasn't anything, like there was no focus on how to be a great team. There was no focus on team culture, gym culture, it was all about, am I scoring points and am I making rosters? And if I'm not doing that, then like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what she's doing. And all that matters is that I'm playing well and that I get to make rosters. So That's it was super so, gnarly. Maddie and I talked about that actually like earlier this week about how like when you're like, when you're young, like 19, 20, and you go into the gym for the first time, you don't realize that every day, everybody's watching you. Like yeah. you have no, you have no perception of that reality until right. you get abroad in like a couple of years, you're like, oh shit, like that first month really mattered. Yeah. Like that, like every that, that set the tone for the rest of my career potentially. And I had, and you have no idea when you're 19, 20, Unless right. you're like really sure of yourself, which most people aren't. Like those are like very rare people that are so confident in what they're doing mm -hmm. at that age. But when you first walk in, it's like, this is it. The clock has begun. Yeah. And it's like every single touch is statted. Yeah. Every single drill you play, it's documented whether you win or lose. And it's just, it's, it's a tryout. It's a tryout 24-7. Yeah. It's so insane. I, I've never been in that environment, but for both of you, when that switch flips and like now you're conscious of that and it's like, oh, this is what's going on. Take me through what that feels like and how your mindset changes. It's, I, I don't know about you, Matt, but for me, I just, it just felt like a panic. Yeah. Like the first couple of years I played for USA and it just, it just felt like every single time I was in the gym, it was just fear and panic. Like, don't, okay, don't mess up. Don't mess up because this roster's coming out. Um, and, you know, you want to be on it. And if you mess up, like, you know, it's play. You know, it's just, it was just constant state of like walking on eggshells and just wildly unhealthy mentally. Um, so it was super hard. It was really hard. Yeah, that like the age discrepancy for me was a hard, because when I was, because when I first met Kayla, I was like 20 or like 19 or 20 in the gym. It was like my junior year of college mm -hmm. and it was my first full summer. And like part of you just wants to enjoy it because you're like, man, like I'm in, I'm in Southern California. I'm playing really good volleyball. And then because of your age and like where everybody else is, like I was with Garrett Mogatatia and like Dan McDonald and 
Carson was still there, and like and Carson's always gonna be Carson's there. Carson's always gonna be there, and like Ryan. What is Carson Ammerman, doing? Yeah, and Ryan Ammerman, and they were all like, you know, twenty. They're me now, and like 25, 26, 27 years old, like, and they're competing every day. And for me, I was just like, do these guys like me or not? And like, it's not, and it's not. That's not <laughs> it. Like. It was like, I couldn't even wrap my head around the fact that it was like, these guys come into work every day. Like they're not as fortunate as you, like you're still in college, like you're hanging out, you're trying to like enjoy your time while playing volleyball. And I was like, this is their life. This is it. Like if they don't make this roster, they're not putting food on the table tonight, you know? Mm -hmm. And it took me until my first year abroad to recognize, I was like, this is a job. This is different. And if you're lucky enough to be like a good leader or have good leadership, then you can create a team. Mm -hmm. But if you're unlucky, which 95% of humans are when it comes to team sports, then it's kill or be killed. Mm -hmm. That's it's, exactly what it was. Kill or be killed. It's, it's brutal, especially when you're on that B team. And it's like those that like, there's only 14, 12 or 14 that travel when you're 15, 16, 17, and 18, and you're in that revolving door, yeah. you guys are stressed. And you, yeah. can, you can see it. You can feel it. Like, if you give them one bad set and they can't kill it, it's like, you just fucking cost me. <laughs> yeah. And they, they, they let you know about it. Yeah. They'll let you know. They don't care how old or young you are. Like, they're going to, you're going to hear it for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty stressful. It was gnarly. Gnarly for sure. Cool to hear that the USA program is in a much better place now, and from that first year for you, Kayla, mm -hmm. from the other people we talked to, it sounded like it just got better and better as far as the team culture mm -hmm. and uh, kind of building that championship mentality as a team. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so it was kind of the same situation as when I was in college. You know, 2007, we had a really tough year. And then 2008, we decided, you know, things were going to be different. It was kind of like that in the USA gym. You know, 2012, they lost in the gold medal match. And um, we came back 2013 and collectively as a group, we're like, no, like, this has to be different. Like, we can't live like this. It has to change. So, um, yeah, Karch brought in uh, Mike Gervais. So we worked with him a lot throughout that quad and talking about, team culture and what we want to be about and how do we take care of each other and you know all those good things that you know we just we committed to in 2013 um that that's the way we wanted to run things and that those are the things that were important to us and um I mean it just was light years light, light years better because we just decided to take care of each other instead of just taking care of ourselves that makes life so much easier that marvel yeah tell me that like if you're playing bad just think about like covering your teammate. Right. It's yeah. Like, and then all of a sudden you stop thinking about yourself for a couple seconds and yeah. get better and you start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, it's not like, I mean, obviously we're still competing. We're still trying to make roster spots, but um, you know, at the same time that I'm trying to make a roster spot, like I'm trying to make, I'm trying to help Kim and, you know, Sally and whoever it is you know, I'm trying to help them make a roster spot. So it was about competing, but it was also about competing for your teammates and competing to make your teammates better. That's all about. It's how you win. Yeah.
seriously, it really is. That's what's, that's what's important. Is that something that you're, I don't want to say pushing, but probably pushing on your team right now? It's like how, Definitely. To, how to compete properly? Yep. So we talk a lot about how can we help each other? Um, how do I make my teammates better? Um, you know, I kind of made up the word teammateship that's kind of stuck with them. So check the Oxford English Dictionary in a couple of years. Maybe that'll be in there. But um, we talk a lot about teammateship and, and what that looks like, what that feels like. So that's that's been um, huge, huge for us. And I had the girls kind of put together kind of like a John Wooden pyramid for this season. And um, teammateship was one of the, the base the base um, sections of their pyramid. That's awesome. Oh, that's, that shows that they're they're buying in at least a little bit if it's at the bottom of that pyramid, if it's one of the fundamental things. Yeah, yeah. So they, I think they really like that, and I think that resonated with them. So they, they've taken that on their shoulders really well. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. It seems like a really common fault that average coaches make to just pin kids against each other and be like, this is competing. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it's just lazy. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's just like, I'll just make them all hate each other and then I don't have to yeah. do it. Right. Stupid. Those are stupid people. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, you're, it's exactly, it's lazy. You know, it's, you know, building a culture and teammates and, learning and teaching all that stuff it takes time and energy and effort and you got to be willing to do all those things if, if you want to be great do you remember the i love like the way kim and actually all of them have described it so far it's like it's pretty funny because you guys did not have a good summer going into the world championships correct oh no we were we were it was bad. We like, we didn't qualify for Grand Prix finals week, which was like unheard of. It was, it was, it was rough. Do you remember what like switched? Was there a switch or was it just like, oh, we just gotta keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. I don't think there was a switch. It just, we just kept, we kept with what we originally bought into in the hopes that it would eventually pay off. And, um, stuck with the process and the journey and and yeah I don't think anything changed I think we just kind of buckled down even harder for each other and and you know dove even further into that culture that we were building and stuck with the process when sorry when you guys were in it like in world championship did you guys realize that you guys were in a flow or was it just you're just taking every day day by day, match by match, point by point. Yeah, I don't think we, I, at least I don't think I realized it at the time. Because I remember the first match we played Mexico or something and we lost the first set. <laughs> so it wasn't, I don't think we felt anything different or like, I don't think we felt like we were in a flow at the time, but looking back on it, we definitely got into a flow. Um, but like we didn't, we almost didn't even qualify for the the finals round. Like we, we I forget exactly how it happened, but we needed Italy to beat, beat Russia, right? Like win at least one set or two sets against Russia. Oh, okay, got it. So if if Italy beat Russia one set, 
then Italy would automatically be in the quarterfinals or semifinals, quarterfinals maybe. Um, and if they won one set and then lost the match, we would be eliminated. So, but if they won two sets and lost the match, then we would be in the quarterfinals or it was something to that effect. Yeah. So we're watching the, the match on like the wall. We had a projector on the wall in our hotel and they won the first set. And so we're all like waiting there, like to see who they're going to play in the second set. <laughs> yeah. We're like, are they going to put in their scrubs just because they know they don't have to win anymore and rest everybody? Or are they going to put in their like their starters again? And so, like, we see their starters go back into the court, and we're just like, yes. But, like, you know, we barely even qualified for the the playoffs. So I don't think we really realized what was happening, and we just kind of took it day by day. And, yeah, it was, it was, it was a little bit odd of an experience. Pretty cool at the end of it, though. What a result. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Remember, do you remember that playoff? I, you got to think you're in a flow in the playoffs. You guys were just cruising. It felt like you guys were side out. Like, just watching, I was like, man, they're balling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it felt it felt good. Um, sweeping Brazil is always, like, amazing. So we had to have been in some sort of flow state to do that. Um I do think we got a little bit lucky with some some referee calls that went our way that maybe shouldn't have. So, um, yeah, I think we got into a flow state, but maybe we just didn't quite realize it at the time. Did you – was there any thought after it, like going into the next summer, of like, all right, I think we could carry this in to win in an Olympic gold? Was that ever, yeah. in, was it in the back or was it like at the forefront or in the back of your guys' mind, like going forward? Um, like, oh, you can do this. I don't know if it was in the forefront or in the back, but it was definitely um, reinvigorating and definitely confirmed that, you know, this process that we started out on two years ago is, is something that's working for us. And um, yeah, would, would definitely help us, you know, get maybe a world cup gold or an olympic gold and so we kind of just um i'm trying to think of the word but just uh confirms that what we were doing was working and we just got to stick with that do you, oh man how going into the olympics i can't i i hate doing the, this one. Oh god yeah i don't know <laughs> going into the olympics well, because you guys were rolling in the Olympics, too. And then mm -hmm. when you guys knew you guys were going to match up with Serbia, was it like, what were you guys, I mean, what was the thought before playing Serbia? Was it just like, all right, it's a good opponent. We've prepped well. We just got to go out and do our thing. Or was there like a tiny bit of fear in the thought of like, man, we got to play like Mihalovic and we got to play Boscovic and these are two big dogs we got to take down. Yeah, I honestly was, I was really happy when we saw that Serbia was on our side of the bracket, because yeah. on the other side was Brazil and China, right? Like, just super gnarly. Yeah. Um, and I was happy that it was, um, I was happy that it was Serbia, because it's a team that we've beat many times before, 
um, and we know how to beat this team. Um, so I think we were we we had a good game plan. I think we all felt really good going into that match. But you know, Serbia is one of those teams that on any given night they can just all of a sudden you know play out of their minds and yeah. um, and be just crazy gnarly good. Um, and that just that just happened to be one of their nights. But I think we felt really good going into that match and. Yeah, and we, we were positive, we were confident. It just happened to be Serbia's night. Happens, I guess. Happens. Did, uh, do you, I think, I mean, Micah, Micah said it the best. He was just like, he said he was just destroyed for like two straight days mm -hmm. until they got to play for the bronze medal match. Were you in the same state? you're just like I don't even want to get out of bed yeah it was it was like the biggest crash like it, I can't even describe it it was I felt like I was in a hole like I I mean I couldn't stop crying for I mean I cried myself to sleep that night we met as a team that night just to talk about you know how are we gonna how are we gonna pick ourselves up and like no one could stop crying. Like we just couldn't, like we just, we, I couldn't, I, I could barely function. Yeah. It was, it was the gnarliest crash of my entire life. I, I can't even describe how hard it was. Did you, how did you guys turn? I, kudos. One, <laughs> yeah. one for being an Olympian. Two, <laughs> Dude, for fucking turning it around. Yeah. Like, what? I mean, was there, like, did somebody say something to an effect? Or was it just one of those things where everybody looked at each other and, like, if we're going to be here, we might as well fucking win a bronze? Yeah. It wasn't anything that anyone said. It just was the same stuff that we've been working on for four years that we're gonna take care of each other and that we're gonna play for each other and we're gonna figure out how to make each other successful. And especially when things are hard and you know we dealt with that loss and, and it seems impossible to get up and play for another, you know, a bronze medal. Um, we just, we really just, you know, leaned on each other and, and, and we just went out and played for each other and and that was kind of it. Like, it just, it was really kind of a beautiful thing that, you know, now that the gold medal was, was no longer an option, you know, we just kind of went back to that foundation that we built of playing for each other and just enjoying being with each other. Um, so definitely like the hardest match I've ever played, the most difficult match to like get up for and play for, but, um, we had already established this culture of, you know, we're going to take care of each other and we're going to do it for each other. So that made it a lot easier. Uh, Matt, edit this out if my timeline's off, but I believe Carrie and April were in the same boat as you guys the night mm -hmm. before you guys played, correct? I don't know if it was the night before or night after, but yeah, they had lost in the summaries and we're going through the same thing. Did you guys collaborate at all or was there eyes on them at, for you guys as a team? Um, not really, not really. Um, the one thing that did happen 
that was really cool. And I think it might have been after we lost in the semifinals. I'm not entirely sure. Courtney or Jordan would probably know better. Um, but Billie Jean King wrote us a letter that, yeah, that just was like, I'm, she's like, I've been watching you guys this whole tournament. I'm so inspired by you guys. Like, keep doing what you're doing. And it was just like, holy shit. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it was epic. So I don't know if that was, I honestly don't remember if it was before or after the semis, but it was just like little things like that, that, you know, just kind of kept us going and, and picked us up a little bit. Did you know that was going to be it for you? And you were going to start coaching after? Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew that going in. Um, like I said, when I first started at USA, like I didn't have any goals. Like I didn't know what I was doing. And then when I eventually set a goal to go to the Olympics and I accomplished that goal, like I felt good about moving on and I did what I wanted to do. And I didn't even have a goal to medal. You know, like I just, my goal was to go to the Olympics. So I did that and doing that was really, really freaking hard <laughs> physically and mentally. Like, it's just, it's just so taxing. Um, so I accomplished the goal that I set for myself and I, you know, I, I could have played another quad, but just physically and mentally, I didn't know that I could commit to be 100% all in on that. Um, so I just, I felt, I felt at peace with what I'd accomplished and I felt ready to move on. That's awesome. So now you're coach Kayla. Yeah. Did you go cross paths <laughs> at Pepperdine when you volunteered there? Uh, no, I was the year after, right? Oh, yeah, did man. you? I What's that, Matt? Were you with Tino? Yeah, it was Tino senior year. That guy. How is he? He's, I haven't talked to him in forever, but they're having a kid. Him and his wife, Haley, right? Hadley. Hadley, Hadley. How, yeah, they're, how did you like coaching Tino? I loved it. He's like, Damn you know, it. Tino, super chill, like, just like, what, yeah, whatever. Like, it just was, everyone on that team was super fun. Um, like, I had Stu and Dave is Dave, and, you know, there was just a really cool group of guys. It was just, I just felt like I was going and hanging out Who, every day. On the staff, it was you, D Hunt, Marv, and Rooney? Yeah. The sick yeah. staff. Rooney's the best. It was, Rooney is the man. Rooney, Rooney's the best. Respond to my text so we can schedule a day. <laughs> yeah, it was so much fun. And, like, I honestly, I didn't feel like I really even did much for them because I was training at the same time. So I literally just went up to, like, hang out every day. And it was, it was a ton of fun. What? I wasn't being in the men's gym. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know Pepperdine's culture is really good, and they're going to respect whoever has the title coach with them. But was that your first experience in a men's gym? or? Yeah, that was my first time in a men's gym. And, yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised. I wasn't sure how they would react, you know, having a female coach. Um, but they were all super responsive, super open to what I was saying. They wanted feedback from me. And um, 
that was really, really cool. And obviously that's Marv and his and testament to his culture that he's built there. Um, but those guys were so great to work with and just super welcoming, super open um, to me being in their gym and, and giving them feedback. And um, yeah, it was, it was really, really cool experience. That's awesome to hear. What's a good Marv story? Oh, good Marv story. There's so many. Um, when I think of Marv, I think of, of Fanyete. Just plain Fanyete. Every chance, in the airport, on the plane, in the bus, everywhere, Fanyete. I don't understand how he always has like the freshest deck. <laughs> yeah. It's always like in Rio, he went to Rio with us. And we had like a team room in Rio where we'd watch video and we get to hang out. And anytime that we were like not practicing or competing, there would always be a Fanyate game going in the team room. And it was always Marv and like an assortment of three other people. But Marv was always the staple. He had, he showed me a photo of him because he had like met Kobe and George Bush or something at the Olympics in oh, mm -hmm. 08. And then there's a photo of him and he like found this trash can and brought it over and was like playing Fanete with all these guys. <laughs> People like around him watching. He's like, he's like yeah, it's a pretty big deal. I was like, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> there was one time we were, um, we were in Rio and I, he was playing short court with somebody and he pulled like the old, oh, watch out for that ball. Yeah. And the person turned around and he served it and aced him or aced her obviously but I'll never forget that one the other one is um my dad came to visit me one weekend and I took him up to Pepperdine with me and it's not really a funny story but just Mark was so welcoming and just talked to my dad for like 30 minutes and then my dad's a volley nerd so they like nerded out on volley and just things like that you know what make Marv great he's a unique man that is for sure definitely we had a Finette tournament at camp, and Marv was like, all right, you're going to be my partner. I'm not great by any means. And we're playing Rick McLaughlin and Vince Devaney, so it's like for pride, because Rick really wants to beat Marv. Yeah. And I was like, I was like oh, I'm really not that into it. I'm kind of here just to hang out, and I just want the McDonald's. And <laughs> I think I must have – because when Marv trash talks, it just sounds like he's talking. And mm -hmm. then you like stop and you're like, what the hell did you just say? <laughs> and then he trash talks his partner more than he starts trash talking the other. Yes. Team. If you're playing yes. fast, like he just harps you. And yes. I started laughing so hard that I must have misplayed like three times. <laughs> it cost us the game. And he's like, you're out of here, man. Like I need a new partner. Winder, you're with me now. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I totally know what you're saying. Oh, that guy, man. So then after, did that give you like a good taste of what you wanted in your coaching experience being around all those guys? Yeah, for sure. That culture, that kind of welcoming, hospita hospitable environment um, is definitely something that's written in my old Miss team values. Um, so I, I definitely got all that from Marv. Um, if anyone's in our gym, the girls will go over and introduce themselves and 
um, just little things like that that Marv did or are things that really stuck with me and have become really important to me. And then the following year, you went back to Nebraska, correct? Yep. So played in Rio, um, retired after that, did like nothing for three to four months, um, and then started at Nebraska in January of 2017. Was it nice? Was, I mean, it had to be nice to be back. How much different was it to be on the other side? Very different. Very different. Um, I found myself asking the question of the Huskers a lot, like, how did you not see that? <laughs> that was kind of like the main question I asked. So I really had to figure out how to go into teaching mode um, and how do I speak to them in a way that, you know, they understand me. And um, yeah, so it's definitely a, a big learning curve. Coaching is a lot different than playing. Um, but I'm fortunate to have worked with Marv and, and work play and work for Coach Cook. Um, so I had some pretty good teachers to help me learn that stuff. And after last season, were you looking to get a head coaching job or was Ole Miss just something that popped up and it's in a really good conference and it just kind of worked out for you? Yeah, Ole Miss has just kind of popped up. Um, they used a recruiter to, to search for head coaches. So the, their recruiter called me um, and asked if I would be interested in Ole Miss and like just a phone call. And I was kind of like, mm, no, but like, okay. Um, so I, I honestly had like never been to Mississippi, like did not know anything about Ole Miss and was just kind of like, all right, well, I'll, I guess I'll just take this phone call just to like entertain it. Um, talked with our SWA here, our sport administrator, um, and, um, director of student engagement and had a really, really good conversation with them. And they right away asked me to come see campus. So came and saw campus, met Keith, our AD, um, and just kind of fell in love right away. So it was definitely not something I was planning on, um, just kind of something that popped up and all the pieces fell into place did you feel prepared at all for this new challenge or were you just like you know what I'm just going to take it at face value I'm going to go for it I was a little bit prepared um like I said I I coached under coach cook for three years and played under him for four years so seeing how he runs a really high level program has has obviously been beneficial so I felt ready to, to take on this, this new challenge, but there's definitely been times this first year where I'm like, well, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So let's uh, figure it out, I guess, you know? So there's definitely a learning curve. There's definitely um, exploration and, and trying to figure things out and how I want to do things and how this is going to work. So, but I, I feel really fortunate. I hired a really great staff that have, have been very very awesome so far so I, I I feel good about what's happening so far I'm obviously learning and I'm going to keep learning and hopefully that doesn't ever stop were you guys able to take your six-week training block before uh March before uh COVID hit yeah so we had we started our eight-hour period obviously in January and then I think I don't even know we had maybe one or two weeks in our 20-hour period um 
And then I actually had my son March 11th. So I went into the hospital, had my son. And then like the next day, um, Bo comes in and goes, yeah, we're sending all the student athletes home. Oh my God. And yeah, I'm like in the hospital. I was super drugged up from birth, like giving birth. And so I'm like still loopy. Like I slept most of the day after, you know, after giving birth and he comes in, he's like, yeah, they're all going home. And I was like, what, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it was, it was really bizarre. So yeah, got out of the hospital and everyone's at home. And that's kind of when the whole quarantine COVID thing kicked off. How many total days have you practiced with your team since you've taken this job? Um, it's been quite a bit, actually. We had the spring, like a little chunk in the spring. And then because the SEC was putting off their decision on a season for so long, we actually got double days with them. Oh, so we had two weeks of double days. And then two weeks after that of just like when they started school and one practice a day. So we've actually had quite a bit of time together. And now um, we went back into an eight hour period. So we're at one hour a day, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, so we're, we're getting a lot of time with them, which is really, really nice. Yeah. Um, but we have a lot to learn. <laughs> so um, I will take as much time in the gym as I can with them. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Culture goes the distance, though, as we mm -hmm. have learned on this podcast. Mm -hmm. What's the biggest thing? How do you establish culture? Like, I know, obviously, it takes time and experience and getting to know one another. <laughs> but, like, when you yeah. walk in the first day, are you thinking, I, I got to set the tone right now? Of like what mm -hmm. this is what I want this is who I am yeah you got to set the tone early and you got to hold people accountable um so you know if you come into our gym you might see the girls running lines and that's just that's just us establishing a culture of you know for example you know they might be running lines and when they get done I'll, I'll have to say something like we don't watch balls fall um yeah. or you know something like that so you have to tell them, you know, what's expected of them right away. And you just got to hold them to that standard. And um, it's, yeah, it's going to take time, obviously, and habit forming and, and things like that. But you got to be, you got to be very firm in what you want from them. And you have to lay it out in detail what their expectations are. Um, and then you got to be willing to hold them accountable when they don't meet those expectations. Do you work kids? you throw them around the gym and stuff? Uh, I have. Yeah. <laughs> I have. But it was when we had to practice with masks on. Like, they literally had to play with masks on. So, so they're, like, in, they're like inhaling their mask. Like, they're breathing, and, like, the mask is going into their mouth. And so, like, I'm, like, running these girls, and they're, like, they get done, and one goes over to, like, her asthma inhaler. <laughs> And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> oh shit. So I felt really bad afterwards. I haven't done a coach on one since then. Um, so nothing quite like Marv does where he'll just like randomly like throw a ball off the side and like you gotta run and get it. But um we do we run lines. We run lines if if things aren't happening the way I want them to happen. So um but no, I've only done one coach on one and 
Get on I don't know. Out. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a little gnarly. <laughs> Marv told me a story that this kid he walked out. You know, he parks on the same place on the hill every day. Mm-hmm. So some kid on his team like parked there, and Marv was like, "He's like, hey, like whatever your name is, like is that your car?" And he's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Can you move it? You know, that's my spot." <laughs> and the kid's like. Well, you know, first come, first serve. And Marv was like, well, all right, then. So he just worked him. Like, he just crushed this kid, right? The next day, Marv pulls up, same cars there parked. Oh the kid did it for, like, a couple days or whatever until he just couldn't handle it anymore. Like, because they were just getting that much worse. Every day he would give him, like, would, run him. Yeah, he oh would just gosh. get him to coach on one every day because he was parking in his spot. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What did you, when you first walked into the gym, what did you feel like was the first thing that you needed to establish culturally with the kids? Um, I think effort. Okay. Um, the We, we, I mean, we typed up a whole list of gym rules. So like effort, talking, um, growth mindset was a big one. Like we're going to, we're going to learn and things are going to be different and you guys got to be open to change. And, um, like, and the other thing was we're going to get a ton of reps in. So like this, the pace of practice, the urgency at which we train, um, those were kind of the main things that it's like, this is what we need to establish right away. And, um, like these are the standards. So we got to, we got to live up to those standards every time we're in the gym. In your first couple of weeks there, was it, was a majority of your practices blocked practicing or random practicing? Um, blocked. So my practice normally starts with like blocks, um, you know, different bursts, like block bursts, attack school, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then I try and end with competing. Um, We've dealt with some injury this year so far. So we had about a week and a half where we didn't have enough personnel to get into six on six. So it was more block and, and technique training. Um, and now that we're back in eight, eight hour period, I just get one hour a day with them. So it'll be, it'll just be block stuff and learning and, and technique focused training. Are there any specific statistical indicators that you're kind of basing your training around? as far as like what skills we're working on and what systems we're do using? Yeah, actually we, um, we put together a notebook for them actually. Um, so they all have a, like an Ole Miss notebook. And then the last page is we put together like a stats most correlated with winning chart. Um, so we have, you know, side out percentage point scoring points earned points given, um, trans efficiency, um, knockout efficiency, you know, different, different stats like that. So they all have this stat sheet um, and kind of explains, you know, why we're doing the things we're doing and why it's important um, and all that good stuff. So there's definitely a method to our madness and they, hopefully they all understand why we're doing the things we're doing. Are you, so you've worked under Marv and obviously you've had, coaches like you and 
Karch and uh, Coach Cook, but it, your personal philosophy with these kids and teaching them the game, how much are you providing them with like skill of like, this is how you have to do it versus creativity of like, hey, if, if that's just how you move, that's just how you move. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of a happy medium. There's yeah. techniques that we're teaching them that, you know, are, it's pretty black and white that this is just the right way to do it. Yeah. Um, but then we also have one of our, one of our pillars is unleash the athlete. So it's like, this is, these are the skills that are going to help you. These are the techniques that are going to help you be great. Um, but at the end of the day, like just be an athlete, like be aggressive, compete to win. Um, and you know, try and incorporate what we're talking about. But at the end of the day, it's like, Hey, score points. <laughs> yeah. So. first oh, okay. two years that you're at Ole Miss, how are you defining success for you and the program? Um, yeah, I mean, we have, we have, you know, team goals, like make the NCAA tournament, um, finish top half of the SEC. Um, but to me, if like we can hit some of these statistical goals that we've set, um, if we can really establish this culture that we're trying to build of, of teammateship and learner's mentality and um, have them have a really true understanding of why we're doing what we're doing, why we train the way we train, why we teach the skills we teach, um, if we can have a really solid understanding of those things in our gym and um, establish this, this culture that we're working on in our gym, then that, to me, that would be a victory. I too would agree that would be a victory. Mm -hmm. I second that. <laughs> <laughs> I heard one of your Kayla-isms is uh, taking big daddy hacks. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> We have five program pillars, um, win the serve and pass battle, um, best defensive team in the SEC, um, big daddy hacks. So aggressive out of system, and that's aggressive setting, aggressive swinging out of system. We take big daddy hacks, um, unleash, the off, uh, unleash the athlete, and then fast and fluid offense. So one of our pillars is big daddy hacks. We're trying to get the ball up to the net and be aggressive. Um, okay. I tell my out-of-system setters to air tight. Yes. And a lot of, yep. A lot of people tell their, their out-of-system setters to air off the net, which is really dumb. Um, uh, uh, yes. So Preach. Preach. We, air, we air tight, we take big daddy hacks, and we play short court every day. Yes. Teach them net play. I'm all for it. We play short court almost every day. I absolutely love it. Once. I got that. I got that from Tyler Hildebrand. Actually, he like begged Coach Cook to play short court every day. Yeah, man. Because once kids learn how to jump straight up and down and move their feet, and they can just you can abuse blockers. It's easy, easy um, points. I mean, it's and it's so. I mean, especially as a setter, because there's so much net play in your game. Mm -hmm. Like once you have the ability. Once it's in front of you and you have vision and then you have the ability to understand like what pressure is and yeah. like pushing it into the block and wiping and like just 
understanding, it's like, oh my God, your options are limited. Yeah. I just, I'm like, okay, you set the ball 10 feet, 11 feet, or if you aim for like five feet off the net and then you miss at 10 feet, like we're not going to kill that ball. It's impossible. It's impossible to kill that ball. If you miss, you know, at one foot off the net, like we can kill that ball. We can do something. Yeah. So trying to, that's, that's one of our pillars. It's big daddy hacks and aggressive out of system. Yeah, I'm all for it. I've yeah. definitely got into this argument with people before about airing tight and they're like, that and like the terminology that I feel like has been used in the past couple of years has really mm -hmm. changed from like, I need you to put the ball here to like, if you can, and if you're going to err, like everything was kind of built around an error philosophy mm -hmm. of like, hey, if you err, err inside. So then people organically, as soon as they're going to set, they're like, oh, don't put it outside. I got to err inside. And instead of three, right. it becomes six. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's cool that you're like, you get, just put it tight and like, let's just wheel and deal. Yeah, let's be athletes. I'm in. <laughs> I'm stoked to watch Ole Miss Volleyball. When it happens. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe sometime soon. When it happens. Um, yeah, you said yeah. maybe October, or that's the plan as of right now? As of right now, we're going to start, we'll go back into to the 20-hour period, October 1, and then the first weekend of matches will be October 16th, and I think it's going to be like doubleheader format. Um, so I think we're going to play eight matches in the fall and then go back into an eight-hour period over the break and then finish up. We'll go a little bit of non-conference in February and then finish up SEC after that. And hopefully there will be an NCAA tournament in the spring at some point. Wow. Sure. It's like a pro season. It literally is like a pro season. A pro season. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Kayla, I think we're good here. Uh, I see what you did there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. It was a really nice chat. Yeah, I, I loved it. Thanks for having me. And again, I'm sorry it took me so long. It was worth it. We appreciate the time.